What a privilege it is to be gathered together this morning to, again, consider God's precious word of truth and grace as we, again, look into the first chapter in Paul's first letter to Timothy. And uh, I've been really blessed by this letter. I'm sure you have been, too, already, and hopefully even more today as we look into it again. It's an incredible blessing and opportunity, really, to open God's Word. And and as we do so this morning, I'd like us to turn to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we are thankful. We are thankful that you've gathered us this morning using this technology such as it is, using this day and this hour, And I'm thankful, Father, for all those that have gathered uh, in order to open the word together and to share in this ministry. We're thankful that you are the one who is sovereign. You hold our lives, as it were, in the hollow of your hand. And though the times are dark and uh, sin does abound in this world, grace does, of course, much, much more abound. And so, Father, I thank you for that and for uh, the opportunity to gather and to share and to be blessed mutually one by the other. We're thankful, Father, that you've uh, blessed our nation down through the years. Please keep our president safe and those that serve with him, and may they be honorably engaged in the pursuit of not only the blessings that uh, we hope for our nation, but also, Father, uh, blessings personally and spiritually. And uh, may each one be guided and directed in that, Father. Keep our president safe, we pray, and, and enable him to have great wisdom, all those that serve with him, because surely our days are difficult ones. And uh, our nation is, is caught in such a, um, complex web of evil these days. So, Father, I pray that you would uh, guide and lead them in that great endeavor and draw our nation back, Father, uh, into the realm of uh, peace and safety for our citizens and uh, that, Father, many lives would be touched these days by the word of grace Yes, there are challenges, indeed, this virus being just one of many. But, Father, I pray that you should protect us all and uh, and be a blessing in these days. Father, there are many suffering in our group, and you know their needs, and we just commit them to you. Uh, there's financial trial. There is a personal trial in families, in marriages, perhaps. Uh, And Father, you know the needs of your people, and we just commit them to you at this time, and we know that you'll be a special blessing to them. As we open your word, Father, I pray that you would bless it to our hearts. In Christ's name, and amen. Well, Paul's first letter to Timothy, as we saw last time, starts out 
very much on the note of hope, hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul in the very first verse mentions that and how he's been drawn in by the sovereign power and grace of God Almighty into apostleship. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. And then he goes on and uh, mentions Timothy. Timothy is very much the focus of the letter, it having been written to him, apparently during a time of trial, not only for Timothy, but for the church where he was ministering there in Ephesus. And so he writes uh, in verse 2, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace, from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he goes on and mentions the trial at hand there in Ephesus, uh, the trial in the church due to false teachers that had come in from outside and had been leading the people astray. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. So the false teachers were teaching. They were teaching doctrine. Uh, they were teaching doctrines concerning Christ, but they were false doctrines. They were not doctrines of the same kind that Paul had already taught the believers there. They were teachings of a different kind, and that's uh, what it says, to teach no other doctrine. Uh, the exhortation is a very strong one. He says that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. He goes on and mentions some of the details there. Uh, last time we looked a little bit at that. Uh, fables and endless genealogies. Well, apparently the uh, <laughs> already um, old at the time, we call it new, new Age, doctrine today, but it's always been around. It's Satan's lies and seeks to create a false worship uh, that's ultimately based on Satan himself, right? Not the Lord God, not our Lord Jesus Christ, but on Satan. Satan seeks uh, those that will worship him, and he uses various philosophical and religious techniques, and that's what's referred to here by those words, fables, the Greek word is the word for myth, myth. <laughs> well, of course, the Greeks were very, very well known for their mythologies, right? And then he says endless genealogies. Uh, we're not quite sure what that is, but uh, there are some other examples of that even today in uh, pagan religion, right? He says these teachings minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. I mentioned last time how the available manuscripts, and there are many, thousands, right? The available manuscripts from ancient times of the Greek New Testament 
they differ in one regard on this uh, point here in this particular verse. There's one word uh, where in some of the manuscripts, in a few, it has uh, the equivalent, uh, we would say, of the English letter D, whereas in the vast majority of manuscripts, it would be the letter N. Uh, of course, we're talking about the Greek letters, but they're English equivalents. The difference between a D and an N uh, is great. Uh, with the D, you have the proper translation <laughs> being godly edifying, right? But with the N, which is the vast majority of manuscripts available, uh, the meaning would be the dispensation of God in each case, which is in faith. So either godly edifying, which is in faith, or the dispensation of God, which is in faith. Uh, the King James translators seem not to have had access uh, in 1600s there um, of those manuscripts, which we do have access today. So... They didn't translate incorrectly. They just didn't have the right manuscripts to work with. So what is Paul talking about here? The dispensation of God, which is in or by faith, as compared to uh, a legal teaching, a legalistic doctrine, which is according to works, right? And uh, the false teachers were promoting works in a religious system, that is associated with that, as opposed to the dispensational teaching, the word rightly divided. In other words, that the Apostle Paul had already taught these Ephesian believers. So the effect of that was pretty severe, and uh, there was much disputing and argumentation, controversy, when there should have been, as he writes at the end there, uh, there should have been love agape love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned there in that, uh, that that verse just before there, the section we'll look at today. So praise the Lord. Um, Timothy was there. He was on the job, but he needed to be strongly encouraged. Paul goes on there in this section to talk about the law because uh, apparently a false understanding of that law was being promoted by those false teachers. And uh, Paul wanted to set it straight as to what the purpose of, of law really is. purpose of law is uh, to conform sinners into a pattern of life which will not uh, be... Uh, damaging to those around them, basically. And so that's what he says there in those verses uh, 8 through 11. Well, let's go on today, though, with uh, the next section. Uh, our outline will be simple enough. It's all about the man, Paul, the man, Paul, as an example. As Paul often writes, often especially at the beginning of his letters, and we saw that in the Thessalonian letters. We saw that in the Philippian letter recently, right? So our outline will be this. The man Paul, once a lowly sinner, but now their chief through grace. And then secondly, the man Paul, 
once an unbeliever, but now the first of a new order. So once a lowly sinner, but now their chief through grace, once an unbeliever, but now the first of a new order. The first of a new order. What a what an amazing teaching this is. So first of all, the man Paul, once a lowly sinner, but now their chief through grace. So First Timothy chapter one, uh, reading first of all verses twelve through fifteen. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Well, it's, it's a pretty strong statement indeed regarding the sovereignty of God, actually. If you just look at it carefully, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He, he counted me faithful. It's not that Paul was faithful and therefore the apostleship was appropriate. No, God had uh, uh, captured Paul. He had, had taken him out of the world he was in and placed him into a different role and world altogether. He says, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. So, and then verse 14, the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Okay, so indeed it was the sovereign work of the Lord God at work in Paul's life. Christ had called him, was it literally or not, we don't know, uh, into heaven's glory, certainly spiritually, and caught up into the heavens, in fact, uh, according to his testimony elsewhere. And uh, he did that in order to transform Paul and to set him on a different course altogether. So the Lord God empowered Paul. It is the work of God, is what Paul is saying here. It's not his work at all. In fact, he's not highlighting his service for the Lord. What he is doing is uh, underscoring the... uh, intersection of the Lord God in his life and how that transforms everything in his being. That's really the point of this here. He does say it was by God's mercy. You know, Paul often writes about that, but uh, one place I remember that seems so relevant to what we're reading here is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. And there we read, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. So the merciful side of it was very important to the apostle. He kept thinking about God's mercy because 
what he deserved was judgment. He deserved death through judgment. Um, but what he got instead was blessing. And he says, I received great mercy, therefore I will endure the trials of this office I hold in this ministry God has provided. Okay, that's really, I think, the point of what he writes there. He highlights the grace of God in verse 14 and the blessings of that. Uh, the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and, faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So Paul's sin, great as it was, was not a match for God's extreme grace. Sin abounded, he writes in Romans, sin abounded, but grace did much more abound. <laughs> and that was true not only regarding uh, mankind's sin uh, placed upon our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, right, as he paid the penalty for the sins of the world, but it was certainly also, practically speaking, a, a fact and a reality in Paul's own life, his own salvation experience. Okay, he goes on and he says, though, something about faithful sayings, and there are a number of those faithful sayings, quite a few times, Paul refers to faithful sayings, sometimes they're called uh, true sayings, uh, and uh, sometimes tr words which are true and faithful, uh, same Greek words translated that way in other places. But uh, here in the pastoral letters, they're called faithful sayings. And uh, I think these must have been well known. They must have been well, well known to the uh, uh, audience at hand, those that, to whom Paul was writing would have known these words well because they were so often repeated perhaps in the fellowship of the believers. They were short statements of very important and transforming truth uh, and um, probably were greetings uh, as the believers gathered together or as they departed. And they well summarized, really, what it was to be a believer, what the Christian faith was all about. This particular one kind of stands out in a sense. Uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, right? Oh, my. Um, what a statement indeed. So Paul singles himself out here. And uh, there's much uh, talk, <laughs> much commentary uh, by preachers and teachers as to how humble Paul must have been to write something like this in this letter. <laughs> Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Uh, sometimes I've thought that uh, that interpretation surely uh, has gone too far. In what sense was Paul the chief sinner, one might ask, in the sense of degree or greatest sinner or in some other sense, right? How could Paul possibly think that he was the greatest sinner of all? I mean, certainly he was a great sinner. There is no question of that. 
After all, he was the one who brought the accusations formally against Stephen, and Stephen was stoned uh, as, uh, as Saul, for his salvation, uh, stood by holding his garments. A great sin indeed, and there would have been others Paul could remember in his life because he gathered up believers, and uh, some of them, I believe, were most likely martyred as a result. Great sinner indeed, but is that what he's referring to here when he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief? Well, the focus there is on the words, I am chief. The word chief uh, in the King James here signifies one that stands in front. Uh, and um, our question then would be, in what way does he stand in the front? Is it because of the magnitude of his sin or sins, or is it in some other sense? Uh, and I believe it was in another sense. And that's made very clear in the next verse, in the very next verse. Paul's writing about the same subject, indeed, but uses uh, interesting language to make it clear what his point is. And this leads us to our second point today concerning the man Paul, once an unbeliever, but now the first of a new order. Previously, verse 15, he said, chief of sinners, now first of a new order. Oh, interestingly, the Greek words are the same. <laughs> the word translated uh, uh, chief in the previous verse, the word translated, Translated here, first, in verse 16, the same Greek word exactly. Okay, verse 16, then, is going to give us the key uh, to understand verse 15. Let's read that. Verse 16, Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy. You mentioned the mercy before, right? Uh, that he had received it. Now it says, For this cause I obtain mercy that in me first, in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. In me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. That, that great train of witnesses, as it were, goes all the way down to the current day, right? Uh, that would include us, surely, as well, right? So Paul sets forth himself here as a pattern in this specific way. He says it was in regard to the long-suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ in reference to Saul, his name before it was changed to Paul, right? So he says, For this cause I have named, obtained mercy in, in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern or for an example or for an archetype, as it were, 
of those who would afterwards believe on him to life everlasting. So there's something about the the way that Paul was saved that uh, is our example today. There's a similarity. In other words, it's important. And he's underscoring that which is in common between his salvation and ours. What is the similarity is the question. I mean, he was caught up into the third heaven. He he uh, saw Christ in his uh, glorious resurrection body, right? These things uh, we have not shared, uh, none of us. So none of us were saved in the same way as Paul, at least if we think of it in that regard. So what is it that's in common here? What is it in Paul's salvation that is a pattern for us today that sort of tells us how we and all who would, through faith in Christ, believe and be saved, how all would be saved? What is the thing in common that he's highlighting here in verse 16? Before we consider that, let me just indicate one thing. He says, in me, in me, okay, first, in me, first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. So there's something uh, there that's being highlighted and a critical part of understanding it has to do with this word translated first. So this would be something new, something different, right? You know, many had been saved through the centuries, right? Through faith. You read of that in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith was at the heart of God's work in believers uh, from the beginning of time, right? Uh, from Adam on. And uh, so there's nothing new about how faith in the heart of a sinner will bring about salvation, right? But what Paul says here is that there's something new because he is set forth as the first one, and as I put it in our outline, the first of a new order, the first of a new order of believers, a new kind of believer, a new type, right? Paul set forth as the first, okay? And then we, when we are saved, follow in that great line, okay? But Paul is first, so therefore he's our example in this. And, and he says specifically uh, the example of how Christ works worked in him and works in us to accomplish this great redemptive purpose, right? In me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So it's not that Paul was a greater sinner in degree, but rather the first of a new order of sinners saved by grace, right? 
Sinners saved by grace in a way that had never occurred before. And Paul, the first example of that. And I think uh, if we see it that way, we'll understand something really critically important here. So the Lord suffered uh, (laughs) at the hands of Paul in a sense. Uh, In fact, you remember back in Acts chapter 9 when Paul is is actually uh, being saved, uh, there's a prophecy given, right, as to how much he would suffer for the Lord. But you notice that when the Lord appeared to him, uh, he highlights the fact that the apostle, well, (laughs) that Saul, as an unbeliever, had been harming the Lord himself, right? Uh, He had been persecuting the Lord, as it were. He thought he was persecuting the believers, but they were uh, believers, and the Lord was himself suffering their trials, right? And those trials were at the hand of Paul. Therefore, the Lord himself was suffering uh, through Paul's uh, terror against believers, very interesting uh, aspect to consider. So the long suffering of the Lord in this salvation and in this deliverance of sinners is what's uh, highlighted here. Um, Again, though, as I've mentioned before, the word long suffering, I wish it had been translated slightly differently. Uh, using the word deep would have been better. Deep meaning depth as opposed to long meaning in time, right, or extent of time. It's not so much the extent of time that's being highlighted there, but the depth of the suffering. So that Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering, the depth of it being emphasized there in reference to this salvation of a sinner, right? So that's what's highlighted here. And then the pattern of that or the example of that, the fact that Paul's salvation by the sovereign work of God is set forth as an example for us and our salvation is the key point here, right? For all those that would believe on him. Now, when we see that, we, I'm sure, are reminded, should be, if we've been studying Paul's letters much at all, we'd be, we'd be reminded uh, on uh, how often Paul writes about his trials and about his sufferings and how his sufferings are examples for us, right, of the work of Almighty God under grace, right? Uh, Paul's trials in his letters are often highlighted to be our examples uh, so that we might go through life with trials indeed, right? Persecution and other trials and might be an example for others of what? Of what? Of our endurance and, and, and commitment and uh, efforts to please the Lord? No, an example of the grace of God working through us, right? To prove that his grace indeed is sufficient always, right? 
So Paul's life is set forth as an example of that for us, of how God, through the life of the Lord Jesus and the empowering of grace in in, in Paul, was an example uh, for all of us who must endure the same, right? Uh, will we enter into that as indeed the blessings of God, or will we uh, spend our lives trying to, by our own efforts, escape from that course which uh, the Lord has determined for us? That's the real question, right? To enter in fully into it, to enjoy the Lord in his working in our lives under grace, or to turn aside uh, to our own devices. The, our own devices could be intellectual, it could be religious. Um, it's not uh, simply one way or the other that a, a believer might uh, rebel against the work of God and the good hand of God upon him. I mean, there are many ways it could occur, but uh, all of those are contrary to enjoying God's work in our lives and his good hand that always rests upon us. Paul writes about the Lord's hand in our lives in all of his letters. It's his major subject, indeed, as to how his life and our life might be an example for others, right? It's our privilege, it's our privilege to Paul writes powerfully our privilege to display Christ's own sufferings and death before all, right? And that's the witness, that's the testimony uh, that is so needed in the church today, right? Weak teaching uh, leads to the cancellation of uh, our testimony and its power, and uh, that should be obvious to all. Now, as we conclude today, there is one more thing that needs to be emphasized, and uh, and that is simply this. If Paul was set forth as the example of a new kind of sinner, namely one saved by grace through faith alone, if the Lord God's work was to set him forth in that way, then we can surely understand so well how it would be that he was set forth as a new kind of an apostle too, right? Uh, We know he was. He was set forth as the apostle of the Gentiles, quite different from what the Twelve were sent forth as. They were sent forth to Israel uh, as their apostles in reference to the coming kingdom, which would be established upon this earth. Paul sent forth to the Gentiles, as it were. In other words, no longer Jews and Greeks divided, but Gentiles all are one. Whether you're a Jew or not, you are a Gentile from God's point of view, right? Gentiles were separate from the covenants given to Israel. That's why the Jews looked down upon them. Uh, They were separate from the covenants that God had made. God had not made covenants with them, and he had not revealed himself to them in this way that he'd revealed himself to Israel. So all become Gentiles (laughs) 
according to Paul's teaching, all must be saved in the same way. Uh, and uh, that's uh, by grace through faith alone, because Paul is set forth as that example for us all. So the dispensation of God, that which is by faith, was revealed to and through Paul for that reason, because he was set forth as the first uh, sinner saved by grace. So you see the dispensational significance of all of this. Uh, chapter one of the first letter to Timothy is is essentially a statement of the dispensational distinction between grace and legal systems of whatever sort they might be, whether that's that based on Moses' law or something else, right? Uh, whether that's based upon the kingdom law or something else, right? Any system based on law at all is quite different from the, the working of God under grace and that alone as we enjoy it today. So Paul set forth as the first, and uh, he is our example, and the dispensational plan of God uh, is therefore completed through Paul because what he adds to the previous revelation is that which had been kept secret from before the foundation of the world, that God would ultimately also save, in addition to Israel and those saved through Israel in the kingdom, he would also solve, save rather, he would also save uh, many sinners uh, in a different way through grace and faith alone. Let's reflect just a little on this teaching today. Um, so Paul sets forth uh, the teaching here that his salvation is uh, an example for us. He was the first of a new class of sinners, namely sinners saved by grace through faith alone. Okay. And uh, we are saved in the same way if we're saved. Many are not saved, who believe they are, but if we're truly saved, it is in the same way that Paul was saved by grace through faith alone, right? The sovereign work of Almighty God. We are not saved because we're very good religious people and uh, uh, devote our lives to the work of the Lord. That is not the essence of our salvation at all. If anything, it's the fruit of it, but it's never at the heart of it. Okay, so Paul writes uh, to summarize that teaching in that faithful saying, right? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief and or first, right? As the next verse indicated, a, a sinner such as Paul, saved by the almighty grace and work of God himself, right? He was chief of sinners in the sense that he went before. I think of uh, leaders in warfare, traditionally uh, generals, for example, those that led the troops, uh, they were generals or on a lower level, they often were required to go first, right? 
um, kings, for example, in past history, right, they would go first uh, and often would suffer the consequence of that uh, being in the forefront in the leadership role, right? So Paul is basically saying when he was chief of sinners that he was the first in line, the first in a new order. And if we would be saved today, we would be saved in the same way and uh, need to follow in that line. Now he, in the next verse, uh, ends this section, I think, well, and I think it ends the chapter. There are other verses here in the translation later, but I think the proper break point would be just after verse 17. So verse 17, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. My, what a place to end today, huh? Do we believe this or are we only religious in a Christian sense? Christian in quotation marks there. Are we merely followers of Jesus? And you do hear that language all the time as if the goal is to be a follower of Jesus. Oh, hardly true. Uh, many follow Jesus who are not saved, of course. They're merely religious. Or are we more than, much more than that, truly the saints of the living God? What a difference. What a difference. And that difference accounts for the astounding confusion in Christendom today over even what is most fundamental, the gospel itself. And without clarity on this most critical of issues, who can be saved? Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the power of God unto salvation. So praise the Lord, praise the Lord for the wonders of his amazing grace. Well, let's, let's thank the Lord. What a blessing to have this word set before us today. I trust it's been a blessing to you as it has been to me and that we will uh, remember it uh, throughout our daily lives. Father God, thank you for gathering us today. What a blessing to have this special word of truth delivered by the hand of the Apostle Paul so many years ago, written personally and powerfully to his son in the faith, Timothy, in a difficult trial of ministry as indeed many of us are too, Father. If, if we would know the truth of it, all of us are in such a trial of faith because, Father, you've set us forth as examples as well. If Paul was set forth as an example of uh, what it means to be saved by grace through faith alone, then so are we. We're following in that great train of witnesses. So following uh, Paul, who imitated our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, thank you for gathering us, and may this word of truth be a great blessing to us. And we would thank you in Christ's name, and amen. Amen. And